We hear a lot of perspectives on the Mankind Podcast. Inclusion of a guest is not an endorsement of their views, and the opinions expressed here do not always represent the mission or values of the Mankind Project USA. Looks like the rain has gone. Good day and welcome to another episode of the Mankind Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Clift. Now, often trauma, when we talk about it, when we acknowledge it, when it comes up in conversation, it's often, understandably, positioned in quite a negative light, almost like a psychological ball and chain that we have to drag through our life's journey. Trauma being something that happens to us, as opposed to something that may have happened for us. And for each of us, in our lives, we've all had varying degrees of traumatic experiences. Not suggesting that there is a spectrum in which one can measure them, because of course, trauma is more about the meaning that we make of it. But what if, what if the trauma that you have experienced in your life could be reframed, could be looked at something that has happened for you, that makes you the incredible, powerful, strong person you are today. This is why I'm so excited to introduce you to Lillian Moore, the co-founder of MindLight. Now, MindLight is a group of practitioners who are on a mission to create an emotionally thriving world. Now, each of these instructors have varying degrees and expertise, but all their work comes down to unlocking people's potential through their emotions. Now, that might seem a little out there per se, but as, a, as someone who teaches emotional intelligence and often has people start those classes with crossed arms blocking those hearts, I can tell you at the end of any class or at the end of any uh, program that I take people through, they eat it up because they understand that before the head rationally creates uh, our understanding, our black and white understanding of the world, we feel, we feel first. We also unpack the mental health industry's pitfalls, right? Underscoring the healing potential of trauma if handled with care. It's so often that people who experience trauma get slapped with a label of damaged, of broken, and it doesn't have to be that way. It can be handled with care. Not only that, you're not only going to heal, but you're going to get to experience some practical exercises to better manage your own mental health uh, drawn from her ex you know, immense experience in this work. So I'm really eager and excited to share my conversation with Lillian with you. This was certainly one, uh, one for the books. And uh, without further ado, let me introduce you to Lillian Moore. Enjoy. Lillian Moore, wonderful to have you with us today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Well, it has, uh, yeah, it, it has been such a, a fun time preparing for this interview. Uh, it's you and I are going to be talking about many topics that we we broach a lot on the podcast. But however, it's your perspective that I've been wanting. Just because, I mean, let's get into your story. You have such a deep amount of experience uh, in the space of emotional healing, of helping people work through their traumas, uh, brain science. You you like to bring in the brain science element to it too, which is uh, which is amazing. Tell us a little bit about your story, how you got into this kind of work, and then we can dive a little bit deeper into some exercises you have for us. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, um, I started abnormally young. Um, my love of the psyche started in childhood. My mom is schizophrenic, and I had um, a lot of exposure to psychiatry and therapists and um, even as a kid, it was pretty disenchanting. I um, could see how, what, just what a mystery the psyche was to the professionals that were in our space, the people that were trying to help, really didn't have the capacity to help. Um, my mom, especially, but also me. Um, and that coupled with having a really incredibly rich, spiritually um, childhood, having free reign of a lot of nature and exposure to Native American practices. We, we, we did sweat lodges and 
we I got to go to the Sundance in in the Dakotas when I was sixteen, and um, grew up next to a, a Hindu temple as well. So I had a lot of a lot of explorations of consciousness in a really positive way as well. And those two of the trauma of my mom's story and and the the resources I was given melded into this deep love of the psyche. So it sounds like you had this, this ability to look from multiple lenses or multiple angles, because you had this journey that you were witnessing through your mother's journey with the schizophrenia and I guess whatever healing modalities she was going through. But then at a, at a time of life where you're just this sponge absorbing everything around you and you've got this diverse exposure to many different thoughts and practices and beliefs, sounds like the yeah. perfect formula. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a lot of love involved in it. I, I mean, I think that also I just maybe came in with with a natural curiosity and love of looking under the hood of mm. what's going on in people's inner worlds and my own inner world as well. Mm. It must have been, um, man, it must have been, Interesting. I guess from from a young age, I didn't. I wasn't able to put to words at a young age that I was an empath or a feeler, and I was often very overwhelmed, incredibly emotional, and, and unable to uh, channel my emotions, which was fantastic in an all boys private school, where that was just whew, target number one right there. Yeah, uh, I'm curious. Was that your experience? I mean, being exposed to these healing modalities, I mean, getting becoming a Reiki practitioner at the age of nine. <laughs> I'm curious of what it was like to, to, to be exposed to, to so much. Um, I was, I, I woke up really young. I woke up to myself at about age seven. So I knew what I was and what I was here for. My struggle was more around like getting my feet under me in a real way. I I think I had um, my love for it, my passion for it, made me more overconfident. And knowing that I had a calling to do this kind of work, I was ready at twelve. You know, I was being my my friend's therapist and um, wreaking all sorts of havoc in, in the sixth grade classrooms with my because um, I, I had an itch, like I had to, I had to do it. And, but I didn't actually know what I was doing until, you know, my early 20s. And um, so I think that was more my struggle was just patience. And, and, you know, we don't really live in a society that teaches patience, or that cultivates these kinds of practices, like, in another culture or another kind of community, I might have been, I might have been apprenticing under somebody the whole time. Um, I might have had clear guidance, but I really didn't have the awareness that that's how you learned how to do these right. kinds of things. Um, that there were, that there was a discipline and time that was required and humility that was required until I found teachers as an adult, you know, when I was 18 or 19, um, where I was, you know, able to say like, this is what I'm doing with my life. I need help, um, knowing how to do it. And, um, yeah, so that was, I think my struggle was more around having patience. Gotcha. That makes sense. So you had a strong itch from a young age. So are we talking like sixth grade, you're like, guys, I have this peyote, we're going to go on a journey. It's, it's going to be exciting. Or I yeah, found this toad. Let's, let's do some compo. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mess around with psychedelics until I was an adult because of my mom's mental health. And I just wasn't, I wasn't sure. And my dad was really great about that. He always said, you know, just wait until your brain's developed before you start messing around with other kinds of chemicals. And I took that to heart because I knew what was at stake. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful I did, but I was still like, you know, making recommendations about meditation and, and lucid dreaming and <laughs> things like that. 
Well, yeah. I, th- I think avoiding psychedelics until your brain is developed, I think that's just good general advice when it comes to those sorts of things. Yeah, I think it's cultural. You know, there's there's yeah. cultures that start, you know, in, inf- in infancy and yeah. pregnancy in, uter- in utero. So there's like yeah. different different schools of thought on that. But for sure. me, it was right. Fantastic. So I'm I'm curious, where is that itch calling you to now? that kind of work like who is it that you're looking to reach with this kind of work yeah so well first of all I'm writing a book Mm. I'm almost I'm done with draft one Um, it's called treasure hunting in the underworld it's about collecting you know all of the goods that you have from what you've lived so that's a big part of my current edge Um, but mind light you know what the company that that I've co-founded the reason it exists is because like I shared in those early childhood experiences we're underserved by our current mental health atmosphere arena the industry we're drastically underserved what we think about as normal results are are like a lot more is possible, a lot, a lot, a lot more is possible in terms of healing. And, you know, what we've been able to achieve in the medical world um, has been so incredible, you know, being able to pull things apart into their pieces and, and, and treat them, you know, chemically, um, the diagnosis, like that kind of analysis has been so helpful Mm. in when we're looking at you know, our physical bodies, but in our psyches, it's actually been very detrimental. And a lot of the diagnoses that people get that are like personality disorders or, um, you know, major psychiatric diagnoses that are supposedly permanent or untreatable or only manageable are actually trauma, which is completely healable and very easy and very, very natural and very intuitive. Um, meaning that it's something that could be taught in kindergarten. Um, and that seeing that gap between the reality of how easy and gentle it is to heal and the way that trauma runs rampant through our culture, being misdiagnosed, being untreated, being run from, and all, you know, we have all kinds of ways of of interacting with the trauma that's very weird um, but it's very treatable actually so that's uh, it is always has been and always will be a huge part of what's most important to me now there's so much in that and and of course because this is your last work right now uh th- there's so much that i want to i want to yank at uh i mean so we have this culture. Some could call it Western. I would call it uniquely American. And I say this because growing up in Australia, 25 years before I moved here, how rare it was to ever see a little orange bottle filled with pills and compounds to elicit an effect or a result. And this is coming from someone whose wife chemically depends on those to live from thyroid cancer. She doesn't have a thyroid, so she requires these things to produce the hormones that her thyroid used to. So I'm in no way trying to assault the pharmaceutical or or medical field and the incredible advancements we've been able to get and achieve. However, I am seeing so many kids that are just at the beginning stages of their journeys in life that are depending on three or four of these things that are going to school with four or five labels attached to them and their mental health. And that worries me that it worries me that there's this misbalance between awareness of say trauma challenges that we're facing um, to then being labels that are now on me that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Yeah. like scout badges almost. Yeah. It's like I have all of these mental health challenges 
and have to take all of these things just to function and exist. And so, so I'm curious of you, if you take around that, because I wonder how many of those kids, if they just had the right role model or someone maybe, uh, as a Dr. Gabor Mate says that many kids with ADHD, it's because they come from a stressful household, right? Well, yeah, this is a great topic. I think that, you know, first of all, you know, the expression when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Have you ever heard that expression? Yes. yes. Okay. So I think that's very true and it's very applicable here. And also that doesn't mean you should take away the hammers. Like mm. That's not the solution. Right. The, the solution is other tools, mm. other tools that work better for what is actually applicable um because there are situations you know my mom is um she's been on psychopharmaceuticals my entire life and can pretty much say with confidence that she wouldn't have a relationship with my kids if she wasn't um if she didn't have medication she was homicidal at times and she wasn't a safe person to be around um and she does have a relationship with my kids my kids love her. She loves my kids. And that's a blessing. That's a miracle. So it really, to me, it doesn't have anything to do with, it doesn't have anything to do with psychopharmaceuticals and it doesn't have anything to do with diagnoses. It has to do with there's, there not being another dialogue happening. And, and then that's why, you know, there's a moment that I've seen over and over again, where somebody gets a diagnosis like ADD or, um, you know, um, borderline personality disorder or manic bipolar, they get a diagnosis and there's a sense of relief or like when people learn about the ACEs, I don't know if you're familiar with the ACEs, but these are adverse um, childhood experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So when people have that information, it does define them. And it's like, Oh, no wonder, no wonder it's been so incredibly hard. No wonder it's like, there's a rhyme and reason to it. But you don't want to build a house there. <laughs> it's like once yeah. you have that, once you have that understanding and that relief that there's something that actually needs your loving attention, that actually needs to be looked at and seen, mm -hmm. then there's a whole world of other approaches that let it move, that let it be different, um, that it doesn't have to be a badge that you carry forever. Yeah, um, yeah that's kind of my my take on it. I am. Um, thank you for sharing that. Because I do worry as a parent, I do worry about the environment that my daughter and future children are going to be stepping into where, you know, there comes a point where their peers start to impact their how they're raised oh, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a very big way, right. And um, when I'm talking to my nieces about what they're hearing at school, you know, they're 11, 12, 15, and how kids are, yeah, diagnosing themselves, diagnosing each other. They have TikToks that say, if you struggle with these three things, then you have anxiety disorder. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> don't let some 16-year-old on TikTok tell you something you are. But you said something there. It's, it's relieving to identify, find the thing. Oh my gosh, this experience in my life is leading me to here. Like this shadow. Wow, yeah. I experienced this trauma. I developed a survival mechanism. That survival mechanism has developed in all these different ways and I'm aware of it now. Fantastic. But it's like, it's, it's almost like, okay, there's chaos, but it doesn't mean once we find it that we just, yeah, build a house there, get stuck there. Yeah. Um, I think another, another piece of this, Brandon is, you know, the, another term that's kind of popped up a lot lately is this term neurodivergent. And I think, that term, it points to something uh, that we could do better as a community. Because what we're saying, when we say neurodivergent, we're saying that there is a normal. And right. a lot of the things that we expect of our brains and our, our nervous systems are not normal. Like we're not built to be sitting at a desk focused for eight hours. We're not evolved for that. That's not normal. Right. And, and, and who, who am I to say that, well, I'm neurotypical. So any 
someone else's behavior that I don't judge or deem to be normal or effective makes them neurodivergent. And it's sort of like we're looking at, we're putting people in situations that we're really not designed for. I mean, our, our work life schedule, mm-hmm. and, you know, our being according to the clock instead of according to the sun, being yep. according to the calendar instead of according to the seasons, all of these things are not natural to our system. And then, and then we're basing a person's uh, mental health or mental, you know, normalcy based on whether or not they can cope with really unnatural circumstances. Right. So if we're talking about our kids, we're talking about uh, constant streams of information and stimuli okay. from multiple devices, from multiple channels. Uh, yeah, bullying, right? We only had the, the one tribe jackass <laughs> to deal with. And, and now you've got someone from 9,000 miles away that could be abusing yeah. you and calling you names and making you feel lesser than. And uh, so, yeah, that makes complete sense that, that we're now in essence going against our natural <laughs> predisposition yeah. to turn up, be effective, to feel. So I can see, I mean, I knew this from the jump, but I can see many of the links as to why, people like yourself who are creating these dialogues, having these conversations, why the importance is, uh, well, let's just say the perception of value is getting higher and higher, which I'm so pleased to hear with. I'm getting booked for more emotional intelligence gigs (laughs) because of Mm -hmm. it. So that's great. I like that. Um, What is the kind of dialogue that you want to create or that you believe there is in, in addition, let's just say, in conjunction with the mental health options we have available right now yeah. some some that do work right this is a really good lead into to start playing with exercises actually because the medicine for the psyche is always has been always will be the same thing it's loving attention loving attention is the medicine it heals all and it uh it heals all quickly and it, it's the same whether you're talking about a child or an adult, you're talking about, um, you know, overcoming a developmental struggle or you're overcoming a, a lifelong trauma, whether you're looking at an individual or you're looking at a collective. Loving attention. That's mm. it. Loving attention. Well, for those listening, we have a we have a great treat for you. Uh, Lillian has has brought some exercises to the table to, uh, yeah, add more tools to the tool chest. So if if you like me, sometimes look in there and there's only a hammer <laughs> to try yeah. and solve whatever challenge you might be going through. It's time to open up the chest and add some tools. So Lillian, tell us about the uh, kind of building trust. This first exercise. Yeah, so we're going to start by uh, getting in touch with what we call an existential comfort. So for some people, that might be God. For some people, that might be nature. For some people, it might be even more amorphous than that. It might be just an awe and wonder of of the whole, the whole deal, the whole spinning cosmos. But you're looking for something bigger than yourself that when you turn your attention to it, you feel resourced. You feel flooded with a sense of aliveness, love, peace. Another way of saying that would be your nervous system regulates when you turn your attention to that thing. And your gateway to it can be very personal. It doesn't have to be something global. It could be your dog. It could be your baby. It could be your lover. Your garden. Something that has, in its own beautiful way, represents God to you. Or represents divinity or the magic of being alive. 
And just notice how that feels in your body. We could think about this as sanity, as mental health, as mental emotional well-being. When we feel connected to those things, what it does to our psyche is it restores our psyche. It fortifies our psyche. Just notice that for a minute. Notice how it feels in all the different parts of your body. You can use your breath to settle into it. You can move your body a little bit, shake a little bit. Squeeze, squeeze, give yourself a hug. All of these things are, are ways of communicating what you're doing with your imagination or your, your mental energy to your body so your body can really respond and be on board. And breathe. Now this next part of the exercise is about retraining your nervous system to have health or healing around a topic that you currently don't feel stable with. So you choose a topic that you feel safe to interact with right now, but that has charge to it. So you you feel a little, maybe a little stress response. Maybe it makes your cheeks flush or you sweat a little when you think about it. Maybe your heart races. Maybe your stomach clenches. Something specific. Maybe you have a, a deadline or a conflict. Some other kind of concern. Now let that come up in your body. And notice what that feels like. Notice that stomach clench. It's normal to yawn. It's normal to burp. It's normal to need deeper breaths when you're doing this practice. Those are all normal things. Let yourself feel whatever your stress is. See if you can soften any thoughts about it. Like if you immediately start telling stories or practicing conversations or going to to-do lists. See if you can back away from that and just stay with the sensation in your body. And again, use your breath. Giving it space. And now we're going to flip. Return to that sense of existential comfort. That sense of love, peace, connection. And breathe. If it feels good, you can make some noise when you exhale. Let your brain know you're safe. If it feels good, you can wiggle your toes, you can shake out your shoulders. Really remember that relationship, that relationship to life, that relationship to God, that relationship to how cute your dog is. And let it fill your body. Let it flood you. See if you can totally let go of the other thing and really 100% focus. 100% focus on this well-being. Feeling your body relax. Feeling your own awe and wonder and gratitude. You can wiggle your toes. You can relax. And then when you're ready, what's that thing that's got you? What's that thing that's stressing you out? Remember that again. And feel that in your body. Notice if it still has a lot of feeling or a little less feeling.
Let's see if you can create a spaciousness around that stressor. Give it room, welcome it, welcome it into, into that piece that you found. And again, use your breath. You can shake it out if it feels good to shake it out. You can maybe actually have the sensation of it moving. Sometimes people feel it moving from the clenched stomach into the chest, into the throat. You may feel it moving up and out. If you feel something like that, you can encourage it by feeling grateful for it. Like, ah, oh, it's moving, relief, thank you. You can feel some appreciation for whatever it is that connects you with that existential comfort. Feel appreciation for your dog or your lover or your baby or the spinning cosmos or nature, the support it's giving you. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your support. Thank you for helping me work through this. Give that loving attention to whatever's left on this topic. Maybe a lot, maybe a little. And breathe. If there's a lot, you can imagine putting it in a box and setting it someplace that feels safe and honored, maybe on an altar or maybe tidily tucked into a closet. Give yourself permission to set it aside and come back to your body. Come back to where you are now. Come back to this room. Come back to remembering where you are before you open your eyes. So, wow. Um, yeah, great mini journey. Just there. That was, that was really cool and scary and comforting at the same time. <laughs> what was scary? Um, so I, I was really trying to think. I really had to rack my brain because I'm very fortunate to get to smack the gratitude button constantly these days. Um, this image of, we have a house that's built into a hill, this image of just the house just falling down the hill. Hmm. Um, whether that's from the lack of a French drain at the top of the hill you know <laughs> water hitting the house whether that it was probably a metaphor more than anything was just yeah that the house crumbling and the existential comfort which is uh which is my wife and i it, it's the us element of her and i together um and what what we're capable of together what we do the challenges we face uh, the strength, the bond between us that can overcome anything. Now, I'm not necessarily uh, a believer in a Christian God, you could say. My wife very much is. And when anyone talks about the teachings of, of Christ, Jesus, or God, my wife like embodies that. The, the good stuff, the kind stuff, the loving, accepting, forgiving stuff. Um, and so like, yeah, her and I combined, I just feel like it creates this unstoppable hearth. It's just beautiful hearth. Um, and it, I, I envision the house falling down and us standing in the middle of it, just smiling and cuddling and, and hiding and just hugging and just being like, and... So, mm -hmm. like, we got this. Beautiful. Mm. So I got my thoughts on that exercise, but but 
what what have you seen? What, is there a case study or what have you seen with people that you've taken through that exercise in so, looking at those two forces, yeah. right? This exercise is, um, I use it for a demo because it's so simple. Mm. Um, but the application of this actually can be very artful and complex and beautiful and all over the place. Mm. Um, but the heart of what we're doing is we're retraining the nervous system. So you're teaching the nervous system to find safety on a subject that feels dangerous. And for some people, the subject that feels dangerous might be life. It might be all relationships. It might be being in your own skin. Uh, so you can see like the, you can take that medicine as deep as you need it to go. Right. And, and it doesn't really even matter what the existential comfort is. It just, you're retraining the nervous system. So you're, you're, you're squeezing the glands of, mm. you know, of your, of homeostasis, of, of endorphins, of oxytocin, of, of the, you know, serotonin. You're creating mood stabilizers on the spot, on the subject that would have you feel anxious, that would have you feel depressed, that would have you feel mm off balance this exercise reminds me like it's a way more simplified version of an exercise um that i learned from tim ferris called fear setting have you heard of mm -hmm. this before no but i can tell you that every single exercise that you've ever been exposed to that worked had this yeah. element in it yes 100 percent. now it was a more brain process like more focused on the mind of Literally, you, you essentially are building a case for mm -hmm. your fear to not be near as powerful as, as you may feel. And, and that's yeah. how it felt for me. Like the energy shift went from 90% focus on the, the horrible thing that could happen and then shifted completely to the opposite side of whatever would happen as long as we have us. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Like it's more powerful yeah. than the dark side in a sense. Another, totally. And another element of this that's important and one of the reasons why MindLight's work is so incredibly effective is because we're working with mental structures, so your thoughts. We're looking with, um, working with emotional energy and we're working with the body. And those three things working all together is it creates this kind of momentum that's also permanent. So with mental energy, you know, you can practice the same thoughts over and over again. And sometimes people will do this with affirmations. And if your emotional energy isn't behind it, it can actually feel quite false. And if you get your emotional energy behind it, then you get, you get the feeling that it's real. You can believe in it. And then if you get your body behind it, you can create some permanence because the body has the infrastructure. Well, every single one of those bases was brought up and felt during that process, right? So like the thought, the mental structure, let's just say, was this outcome. And yeah. then where in the body was it? It was, it was in and around my chest. It was wrapping around my ribs. It felt like a squeezing, a constriction. And then the emotions behind it, being able to address and speak to the emotions there. And in essence, at the end, there was that release. Like, what, is, what does it need to, what needs to happen to thank and honor? You know, the house falling down has made us very proactive. I mean, it, it's a, sure, there's structural things that we could work on in the place, but, you know, it's, it's our financial house. It's our relational house. It's our emotional house. It's yeah. all of those things that makes us very proactive because, yeah, we are reminded constantly of where things could go wrong. Yeah. Um, and it's yes. beautiful too, you know, when the mind gives you a structure like that, that gives you so many elements to work with. And a lot of the, a lot of the practices that we do at MindLight when we're working with trauma, we bypass the story, but we let the subconscious kind of present its own version of the story, which ends up being a lot more true to what's stored. Right. It's, it's a, a way of working with like the architecture that's actually created through trauma right whereas 
typical or traditional psychoanalysis therapy would go to the story and spend a lot of time unpacking the story. But in essence, in this, you bypass the story and just get to the deeper need. Totally. And a lot of times, especially with developmental trauma, the story is something that you developed like decades later. You know, when you're a kid, all that's there is the dream of it the the mental structures and the impact on the body the impact on the emotions and then later we we create stories to create safety around it we think mm-hmm. about it which is a really helpful um it's really helpful for psychological safety it's just not helpful for healing yeah the same parts of the brain that we used when we were hunter gatherers going don't eat those berries is doing the exact same thing right and saying yeah. don't trust men don't yeah. get into those relationships or whatever. Like, it just puts yeah. things in black and white so we can survive, right? Yeah. Man, it's powerful. That, that's, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners, I, I just, I wish we had a way to uh, receive that information back to see how you, you know, how you experience these little exercises and moments too. So uh, emails are in the show notes. So, please would love to hear your experience from this and I can make sure that you get those too, Lillian. Um, wonderful. So now so what we're doing right now in essence is bypassing a lot of the nonsense and a lot of the, I say nonsense, but a lot of the surface level to get to the core, to get to the actual work. Uh, from this when- place... From this place, what's more possible now from this place as opposed to spending all that time in the shallow end? Yeah, so what I, I, the distinction that I would create is that we, we tend to think about our problems versus actually metabolize them. So thinking about your problem is the storytelling and the metabolizing of whatever you're struggling with actually makes the energy available again. So it's repurposing it in essence. Yeah. So even this, the example that you had that you experienced, you have a, a crisis or, or a catastrophe, something that you're scared of, that you have a lot of emotional energy around. And when you were able to integrate that, it actually fortified your, your sense of well-being. You actually felt stronger because mm. of it. That energy added to your marriage it added to your sense of connection, to your sense of power, to your sense of capacity. And this is not new information. I mean, this is why people, you know, climb Mount Kilimanjaro, because we know that when we are challenged and we're able to integrate that energy, we become deeper, wiser, stronger, more compassionate, more capable human beings. Mm, I love that because there's such a common narrative when it comes to like personal work and you know anyone who follows joseph campbell's work or uses kind of hero's journey models it's like yeah you go into the cave and slay the dragon and uh it's interesting we're having this conversation because so much of my i don't know intuition perhaps recently i've been calling it riding the dragon befriending the dragon like you know it, it, it slaying it doesn't seem to um sure there might be a sense of completeness but it's a fallacy at the end of the day like if i'm bringing something from my past and bringing it to my awareness right a shadow or trauma whatever it feels naive to think that there's any conquering that could occur around that you know any defeat sword in the heart kind of yeah. movement or motion or idea or piece of therapy or ayahuasca trip that can create that all I've ever been able to do with those things is shrink them to a manageable side size and put them in front of me where I can see them so they don't slip behind me again. So I love this idea of taking the shadow, let's just call it, cause that's just a common language you use here and honor it, thank it, bless it, and then get to take the energy from it mm-hmm. and apply it to the light side all the good yeah and there's a few pieces here that you're that you're describing that are critical one is that it's you're taking it outside of yourself another way to say it is that you're outside like 
you're not in it. <laughs> and for people who've experienced severe trauma that they're you know drowning in, mm. that's why we start with the existential comfort first. So you can get outside of it and then approach it from the outside. And then you can approach it at a pace that feels safe. Mm. And that approach is like you're describing. It's really similar to if anybody's familiar with like horse whispering. When you do, you know, join up. There is something of a reclaiming your dominance. Like, mm. no, I'm actually in charge. I'm going to be the one that is the grown up here. And you're not going to run my life anymore. But I love you and you're welcome. You're welcome to be here. So super random. I so I horse whispered <laughs> mm-hmm. previously when I was younger. Yeah. Um, working with them as a teenager. And yeah, it is a divine experience. Yeah. Of this thing that has been actively threatening to hurt me and has hurt yeah. me a lot in yeah. the process of breaking them in or whatever is now don't even need words. It's Yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah. It's integrated, it's embodied, it's not a mental model, it's not a affirmation, it's it's in, it's there, it's yeah. scar tissue. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, this is great. Okay, you are very good at this. If you didn't already know, you're very, very good at this. <laughs> um, do we have time to look at the book? <laughs> yeah. As you can see, I'm just eating this up <laughs> right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So you mentioned that, that there was a second exercise that could allow us to safely work with trauma um, yeah. in our pre-interview. Tell us about that. Yeah, so same principles that I was talking about before, that you want to start from the outside. Um, you want to approach slowly, and you want to work with manageable, manageable pieces. So one of the things that happens when we experience trauma is that the system is overwhelmed. Like we're built to handle stress. That's part of life. We're built to handle stress, learn from it and become bigger, stronger, wiser, more loving, more compassionate, more capable of passing good information on to our children. But when we experience trauma is when that process gets interrupted and that information of the threat is stored in the system. So when we have a therapeutic process that just brings it back up, we get re-traumatized because it's still overwhelming. It's still, still too much for the nervous system. And so we want to approach in a different way. We want to bring it forward in a different way. So this is a technique. I call it the book. And it's a way of demonstrating how we can kind of create those manageable pieces. So you can start by just having a nice deep breath and returning to that sense of, of safety and center and peace. Take your time and access it however it's accessed for you. Use your breath. You can wiggle your toes, wiggle your fingers. If it feels good to shake out or roll out your shoulders or your jaw your bodies feeling good and present and safe right where you are in your room right now being the grown-up that you are and then if you are willing you can ask yourself am I willing to choose something from my past to heal And on this, you can choose something that maybe feels a little bit bigger, something you've been a little bit more scared to look at. Just ask if you're willing, ask your body. Take a deep breath and listen. If you get a yes, you can keep moving forward. And if you get a no, choose something else. Now, right here in your grown-up body, in this present moment, where we are today, listening to my voice, I want you to imagine that way over there is a book. And that book has the information about 
that thing that happened back then. And now you can take a breath. Notice how you feel with just that, with that thing that happened then over there. Notice everything that comes up in your body. See if you can meet it with that kindness, that compassion, that peace. You can stay here. You can stay here for the entire exercise if you want. If you feel ready, you can walk over to that book in your mind's eye and see the title of that book. What is the name of this event? And breathe. If it feels good, you can give yourself a hug, you can pat your body, you can roll out your shoulders, you can wiggle your toes, you can shake your arms. If you're feeling a lot, make sure you move it through your body. Don't let it just stagnate or pool there. If you're watching, you can say the name out loud. Sometimes that can be freeing. Notice how it feels to say it out loud. Welcome anything and everything that you feel about this title. Welcome it into your body. Give it space, give it kindness. Give it love. If it feels safe to do so, you can open this book and you can see the table of contents. What are the different components, specific memories or parts of this that are important? Again, you can say them out loud. You can breathe. Welcome that there are these parts If it feels okay, you can choose one chapter. What is one component? What is one part of this story? It could be the first part. It could be the most important part. It could be the part that you haven't talked about yet. Choose that one part. And notice what you feel about that. What emotions do you feel? You feel angry, you feel sad. And one by one, welcome that emotion. You can say out loud if you want, or internally, I'm angry about this. I'm welcoming my anger about this. Give it space. Meet it with that kindness and that love. Use your breath. Move your body. You can hug yourself or squeeze yourself. You can shake out your arms. Welcome it as deeply as you can giving it all the space that it needs, all of that anger, all of that sadness, whatever that emotion is. On that specific chapter, on that specific component. Take your time there, as much time as you need. 
breathing, welcoming, giving it all the space that it wants. You can also move to the next feeling if you're complete quickly. Again, breathe. Really using your breath to let it move. Using your body to let it move. If there's anything else you want to say about that feeling, about how it is sensational in your body or a thought that goes with it, going to have one more nice deep breath. And whatever's left there, whatever got moved, see if you can find that gratitude for whatever was accomplished and whatever wasn't accomplished and close that chapter. And then close that book. a deep breath and you can look at the title one more time knowing that there might still be stuff there and something got resolved whatever stage is in right now is totally okay you can hug that book to you if you want to you can take that book back to the shelf Put it on the shelf. Take a deep breath. Turn and walk away. Coming back to where you are now, coming back to this present moment where your body is, who you're with, my voice, to your own fingers and toes, remembering where you are before you open your eyes. That's a book I have not wanted to touch for 15 years. And I can finally assign new emotion to it outside of just shame. wouldn't expect that this exercise would get something totally complete it's um it's an exercise in teaching your nervous system how to approach something safely Mm. we spent maybe 10 minutes there so if you were getting a full trauma session on this that's the first 10 minutes (laughs) yeah yeah right (laughs) you know and and honestly, you know, a lot of times people spend in their, you know, when they're going to therapy, they spend weeks and weeks and weeks and it's brutal yeah. and it doesn't have to be, you know, you, you could open a book like that and have it be totally resolved in an hour. Mm-hmm. You could open a book like that and have it totally resolved in two months, you know, depending on what it yeah. is. But the first piece is, is finding a safe way to do it. I'm grateful to have cracked the first page because that's, yeah, that's one that I haven't wanted to touch and been too afraid to. And so I feel like some beginning steps, yeah, that exercise will allow, allow me to keep flicking through the pages from a safe place. So, um, thank you. Thank you. So I imagine this is just one tool of many that you use and utilize with your work and your practice with MindLight. Uh, I'm sure many at this stage who have been with us on this journey want to know more about MindLight, want to know more about you. So uh, please tell us a little bit more about 
Mindlight, how we can get in touch, find out more, and perhaps might even yeah. find out how to work with you. Yeah. Well, well, you're welcome. Come on, come on over, y'all. Um, one of the primary ways that we spread our our technology is through training practitioners. So we have a trauma training, uh, trauma integration training that's coming up. I'm not sure when this will be posted, but that starts in November. Enrollment closes in October. Um, and that's for people who want to learn how to do this for others. And man, does it change your practice when mm -hmm. you learn how to work with this kind of experience. I mean, can you imagine going to a therapist and having them tell you, oh yeah, that will take you, that'll take us about three weeks mm -hmm. to get that complete. It's like, therapists never say that. It's like, it's all about the process and this is a lifelong journey. And <laughs> it reminds me, it reminds me of pretty woman when Richard Gere goes, it took me 10 grand of therapy to say these words. I'm angry with my father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's a really beautiful from a practitioner perspective being, um, being able to radically change what you can offer and promise your clients is just awesome. Mm. Um, and then also we offer sessions. So our students, our graduates offer sessions, our students offer graduates, our trainers, or our trainers offer sessions, our, um, our students offer sessions. So there's a lot of ways to get, if you're not interested in becoming a practitioner, you can receive one-on-one -on -one support and get guided through these kinds of processes. And again, this is, you know, we're, we're going through examples of things that can be taught to a group of people that I don't even know what their content is <laughs> safely. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot more nuance and art yeah. that is available. Sure. I, one thing I want to ask with the, the tools that you're using and the process that, that you, I guess the, yeah, the process that you follow, I'm sure it's different for every case, but whether i mean we, we can't comparatively measure someone's trauma or experience right because it's the meaning um that someone associates with the experience no but we can uh, we can look at symptoms symptoms right so is there anything like have you been able to i guess subjectively see something that let's just say may be a smaller experience and then something that is just earth-shaking large does that change the process or is it just still we just no it's the same process the only difference is that there's a difference between developmental trauma and acute trauma developmental trauma tends to just take more time because it's more interwoven right. um with everything else mm. um you know there's other things that can add complexity um religious trauma sexual trauma because there you're intertwining things that are essential to life mm. with the trauma versus something like a car accident um, so there's, there's things that can add complexity, but it, the rules of the game don't change because you're always working with the psyche. You're working with mm. our survival system, which is, it has a playbook. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, for those that want to find out more information, links, of course, will be in the show notes, but it's the, the mindlight.com, T-H-E-M-I-N-D-L-I-G-H-T.com to find out more information. Lillian, this has been such a pleasure. I'm, I'm so grateful having had the experience to interview you and spend this time with you. Uh, no doubt the work that you are all doing is just having such a huge impact and ripples. I got one final question for you. It's a, it's a magic wand question. So you probably heard this style of question before, but what does the world look like when you have achieved yours or mine lights mission? It looks like people creating on purpose, creating from a place of vision and imagination and creativity versus from their past. And I have no idea what, what we can create. I have no idea because it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I imagine a lot of loving attention. A lot of loving attention for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Well, yes, again, we want to thank, uh, 
thank you for being here. And of course, I always want to take this time to thank you, the listeners that have joined us for this episode of the Mankind Podcast, the show where we break the molds of modern manhood to prove there's more than one way to be a man and give you some more tools for your tool belt in this amazing journey called life. Uh, thank you for your, uh, yeah, just turning up, being a part of these conversations and to perhaps think, you know, what is one small piece that you can apply tomorrow? It's great learning this information. It's great hearing fun conversations, but what can be applied? What can, what could just be that little one degree of change, uh, for your life going forward that will compound over time. I've been Brandon Clift, Lillian, thank you for joining us and we will see you all next week. This has been another episode of the Mankind Podcast, produced in association with the Mankind Project USA. We have been your hosts, Boyson Hodgson and myself, Brandon Clift, and we want to thank our guests for joining us today and imparting their wisdom from their experiences in this amazing journey called life. If you want to find out more about today's guests and support them in their mission, you can find links to them in the show notes. Now, if you have found gold, and insights that you believe could benefit your loved ones and those you care about, be sure to share it with them. And of course, we are always grateful for a rating and review of the show on iTunes. Now, above all else, we've got to thank you, the listener, because through your attention and your support, you have made it possible for us to let men all over the world know that they are not alone and that there is more than one way to be a man. And if something in this episode has touched you, then perhaps it is the call to action to get involved in men's work. With live trainings happening constantly and in-person trainings happening all over the world, the Mankind Project definitely has something for you. Now, if you've enjoyed the music in this episode and all of our episodes, be sure to check out Jim Donovan and the Sun King Warriors. I have links to them in the show notes. And lastly, just know, what it means to me to be a man is completely different than what it means for you. That is the beauty of this journey. So if you are looking for guidance, support, and community as you begin to unpack and dive deeper into your men's work journey, then you know where to find us. Same place, same time, next week. Lots of love. We'll see you then.